This is Talkin' Mule Deer with your hosts, Steve Belinda and Jody Stemmler. Talkin' Mule Deer takes you on a journey to learn more about the Mule Deer Foundation, Mule Deer and Blacktail Deer Biology and Management, tips and tactics for hunting, conservation issues, and even features some of our corporate and celebrity partners. Now, let's start talking Mule Deer. Hello, this is Jody Stemmler, and we are talking Mule Deer from the 2019 SHOT Show, Shooting, Hunting, and Outdoor Trade Show. And today, we've got a couple special guests, but Steve? Steve. Yeah, I'm Steve Belinda, Jody's co-host, and today we're very fortunate to talk with Bill Dunn from the National Shooting Sports Foundation. Bill, you're the Managing Director of Marketing and Communications. Yeah. And Samantha Petter from the Council to Advance Hunting and Shooting Sport, or CASH. Uh, she is the Director of Business Development. Welcome. So those are a bunch of acronym names there. So yeah. <laughs> and, and we are not short on letter names in our, our community, but tell us a little bit. So the National Shooting Sports Foundation, NSSF, has been around a long time. Tell us a little bit about the organization and, and your affiliation and your connection with the outdoor industry and then across the conservation community. Yeah, NSSF is the trade association for the shooting, hunting, and outdoor industry. It was formed in 1961. Um, and we also happen to be the owners of the SHOT Show, the trade show that we're here. Well, thank you for hosting us. We're all at today. <laughs> but, yeah, we represent um, more than 12,000 businesses in the industry, which include manufacturers, retailers, ranges, uh, conservation groups, publishers. The, we run the gamut of all companies in the industry, and we represent them. We, our, our mission is to promote, protect, and preserve hunting and the shooting sports. So all of our programs are geared to doing exactly that. So you're, you're a trade organization. Members pay you to represent the best for that industry, correct? So correct. So it's a 501c4 then? Or six. Yeah. 501c6. So, yeah, so you're really member-driven. So those 12,000 companies that you have out there really dictate what are your priorities and what's important for that year and for the organization that you work with? Yeah, exactly. And a lot of it has to do with getting new, new people out there, hunting and shooting. Well, and that's what uh, a big part of what we're going to be talking about today um, on this particular podcast, because both of you are working on recruitment, retention, and reactivation. And the Council to Advance Hunting and the Shooting Sports um, is a, another long acronym, but it's an organization that was, um, was developed um, collaboratively amongst a number of other groups, NSSF being a, a large member of the Wildlife Management Institute, Mule Deer Foundation, State Fish and Wildlife Agencies, who work together on the hunting heritage, the concept of continuing um, people who are hunting and shooting and getting outdoors. So tell us a little bit about your organization and, and why it got started and, and what you're all about. Absolutely. So we're a 501c3 based out of Washington, D.C., and we largely focus on the business-to-business connection. Um, we have a 31-member board now, and we represent state fish and wildlife agencies and federal entities, industry members. NSSF is on our board as well. Archer Trade Association is another partner. But then also NGOs or non-government organizations. So Pheasants Forever, National Wild Turkey Federation, Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation. And all of our focus is on kind of the binding tie between all of those entities, which is hunters and target shooters and trying to get more people outdoors. Um, if you followed along some of the narrative, participation in outdoor recreation is changing, right? Some is on the decline. Some uh, new people are coming in, coming out, churning, lapsing. These are all terms that we've come to understand more in the last five years. So the council really prioritizes our three efforts, like you described, and working with our partners to kind of get everyone working together on the same page, understanding the options and opportunities we have, and understanding the research as well to get strategic about what we're doing and really have that impact so that 
everyone has a future that we can be proud of. So R3, uh, we've said this, but I'm going to re reiterate it, is recruitment, retention, and reactivation. Um, and, and I think what I understand is that, um, you know, we, everybody's done hunter education for a long time. It's mandatory. There's a number of groups that have had youth programs or women's programs. Um, but when the industry and organizations start to actually really look at what was going on with these efforts, it was kind of a scatter map. It was all over the place. It wasn't organized. And more importantly, there wasn't a way to assess effectiveness um, and to, to really see whether you were making an impact. Is that a, a correct um, overview of the, the history of, of how some of the new efforts are coming about? Absolutely, yeah. So at WMI, Wildlife Management Institute, did a study in 2004, roughly, and they identified like 420 different programs out there at that time that were doing youth or women programs, trying to get more people outdoors, how you outlined. Um, what they saw, though, was that people had really great times at those events. There's a lot of hot dogs, a lot of target shot and everything. However, we didn't know what happened afterwards. We didn't know if those people actually went on to pick up a firearm again or if they went on to become another hunter and a lifelong hunter at that too. So now the kind of the thought we're taking to this is to say, when we make an investment of our time and resources to teaching someone, we want to make sure that that has a lasting impact on them. So when they take that first fire, first shot out of a, a rifle or a shotgun, we want to make sure that that's a positive experience and it continues for their life. So that's how we're partnering together and trying to get people to think about that and that mentality. So one of the reasons I think that this is so important is not just that the hunters and shooters help pay for conservation, and we can have a whole separate podcast on that issue itself, but times have changed and culture have changed. You know, Pennsylvania boy, it was second nature to grow up hunting and fishing because your family did it, and it was part of the culture of the school system, and all your friends did it, and so it, there was no, no one had to recruit me. I was already immersed into that culture, and, and you know, I hear today that that's not so. Is it, is, explain to me what you guys have found, what's different today versus, say, 30, 40 years ago. Yeah, like, it used to be it was passed down by generations, and you're, you are seeing a lot less of that, and you're seeing an aging demographic when it comes to particularly hunters. But, um, and you look at land access. Um, I'm, I live in Connecticut, and it's very difficult to find a place to hunt these days. So you throw all those challenges together, and, and, and it's a big challenge. But um, the more we can do to in, encourage people, existing hunters, to take someone new, we were actually just launching a, a new campaign called the Plus One Movement, and this, it's a super simple message. Bring somebody new. If you're an existing hunter, Take somebody new this year. If you're a shooter, take somebody out to the range. It's really easy. It's that easy. So you're playing on that whole wedding invitation, sort of party <laughs> invitation. I'm I'll inviting you, one. but you're going to have a plus one, and exactly. that can be anyone who you want. So. Yeah. So I mean, tell us a little bit. This just launched, if I'm not mistaken, in December of 2018. Um, and, and the idea is, uh, and, and actually, let's back it up a little bit. Sam, what you talked about was that, that becoming a lifelong hunter or shooter is not going to happen in one touch. It's not going to be that single event that a family takes their kid to. You need to be able to get tools um, and, and experiences along the way to build a continuum so that that person can become 
um, can, can, can sustain that interest on their own independently. So they're not going to require somebody to take them with them every time. So that they're going to be able to go out and do that. And as they go, they build a affinity, avid avidity, and they're also starting to buy products that they're going to need. So this is helping all of us along the way in the industry. So the plus one concept is the idea of a mentor and, and, and NSSF's program and other groups are doing similar things as well. Tell us how that is hoping to make a difference um, in the effort to recruit, retain, or reactivate hunters. Absolutely, so think about it in crafting a pathway to outdoor participation. Um, we have a lot of partners that do one day events right now or multiple day events, but it's a one-time exposure in somebody's life. So Pheasants Forever puts out a youth pheasant hunt and someone gets to go harvest a pheasant in the fall. Well, in the spring, you could follow up with the National Wild Turkey Federation mentored turkey hunt. And you're starting to see that these organizations recognize they're not competitive, but they're complementary. And that the collaboration together through campaigns like Plus One and having that other person there to guide people through even that experience and along that pathway is long longitudinally going to be more impactful for them. So having this concept of building that pathway is what we're after. Yeah. And Mule Deer Foundation has been engaged in youth recruitment for a long time through our Muley program, the Mindful, Understanding, Legal, Ethical Youth. We have our state chapters. Um, they're very involved in having these youth events, and they've been incredibly successful. And, and it's great. And this, this is not saying those aren't important. It's saying how can we now connect and carry those kids that are doing these events, um, you know, going to a chapter event, how can we get them able to go out the next time. We're hearing more from some of these chapters that they're single moms with their kids and the single mom has no idea, but their son or their daughter really wants to try this. So, so that's why they're coming out to the event. So how could Mule Deer Foundation chapters or other conservation organizations or individuals help in this process? Absolutely. So something that's coming along with the R3 acronym is also um, these positions being dedicated at the state level, whether that be through a partner organization or a state fish and wildlife agency. And it's kind of the, the centerpiece of statewide activity and local grassroots efforts. So one thing that Muley chapters could do um, is to engage in the statewide R3 summits or the statewide R3 advisory team or strategic planning process. Because there's events happening out there that perhaps people who p participate in Muley's could come, learn about new habitat, new, new opportunities, and then partner with Pheasants Forever to do the next step too. So these are kind of the event where they can engage and talk and make sure that priorities are also listed there and then take action from that and help be a, a really important part of that process. And a lot of these, um, a lot of the R3 efforts are, are starting or connected directly through state fish and wildlife agencies as well. And obviously our chapters are, are already very well connected with our state game and fish department. Um, so, so that's probably your best resource. Uh, almost anybody, if you were to go and talk to them now in a game and fish agency, is going to know who their R3 co coordinator is, or they're going to at least be able to help you out to, to, to point the directions. And that person or those people are going to be able to help make the connections to the other events that might be going on. Um, and, and it may not be just a youth fest. It may be a smaller hunt or a, or a smaller one-on-one -on -one experience um, that, that, that you might be able to get connected to, right? Yeah, absolutely. So, Bill... <clears throat> 12,000 members of NSSF, how do you go back to them and relate to them the importance of this issue? And how do they understand their contributions to this effort? I mean, other than, you know, PR, uh, DJ dollars that go towards all the things that, that that goes to. I mean, and the reason I ask that is is, is you really have to, sh to get people to buy into the stuff. They have to know what the benefit is for them. 
And if you have 12,000 members who see R3 as a big issue for NSSF and uh, the council and everyone else, you know, how do you tell that manufacturer, that gun shop owner that this is super important? Well, particularly you look at shooting ranges and um, if you're not seeing people coming through the door, there's that's that, that's a problem and, and and they look to us and they look to all the groups out there the state agencies to help get new people involved and same goes for the manufacturers and the retailers and everybody else like everybody wants to see a bright future for hunting and the shooting sports and everybody's on board um, so the more people that do it the more customers they might have and the more income and, and livelihood plus the you know what i found in this business is it's not everything that that you get out of it it's what you give back to and that you know in in the hunter ed that i help teach in the conservation leaders for tomorrow and you know now raising children to be hunters and understanding conservation it's what i can give them and you know that makes you as proud and makes you feel good as much as you know being able to go out and harvest a nice deer or go pheasant hunting so well and the industry and corporate partners um are absolutely see the connection i mean they 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 clearly have seen um the need and and i know i've seen a lot of them really embracing through either product donations or national shooting sports month um that's august right where there's a very concerted effort a focused time of of getting people out on the range um and the companies uh, donated significant product for drawings and giveaways so that there was some mo- social media interaction, right? Is that? Oh, yeah. Like, August last year was amazing. Like, the entire indus- industry rallied together. All the manufacturers, ranges, retailers, everybody on their social media channels were encouraging people, hey, it's August. It's National Shooting Sports Month. Get out there. Have fun. And like you said, they donated products for giveaways. And everybody sees the importance, and everybody's on board. And especially when you pull somebody together, for that whole unified concept, like a whole month to celebrate the shooting sports, everybody is more than happy to help out and get the word out and, and try to increase participation together because we're stronger together. Yeah. So um, recruitment, retention, reactivation. That's that, me. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I am the picture-perfect reactivation story <laughs> because I grew up hunting and fishing um, when I was a kid. And then... High school, college, sports, your life, career, living in the city, no opportunity. So I always considered myself a hunter, but I didn't buy a license for 20 plus years until we got our bird dog um, about eight years ago. And, and that got me back into upland hunting. And now our daughter goes with us and she's starting to hunt. So it, I, the reactivation is a person who used to hunt or fish. What they were finding, what, right, is that the licenses, that there were people that used to buy licenses that don't buy them anymore. What are the reasons that stop you from buying a license? Is it access? Is it, in my case, time or effort or opportunity? Um, you know, so, so, so you guys have done some research on that and reactivating some of these hunters, the people who consider themselves hunters but aren't doing it and aren't buying a license on a regular basis. That's a whole different approach to somebody who's never done it or has no connection at all, right? Absolutely, yeah. So there's, there's churn, right? There's In five years, uh, 35% of the licensed buyers won't buy every year. If you guys are out there listening, buy a license every year, year in and year out, you're an anomaly. Um, it's not common for people to be participating. In a good way. In a good way. <laughs> yes, you're and our core. Say, we need you. In just one state? 
I mean, I buy. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, I have four this year. So, you know, but we're different, right? Um, but that's kind of the nice thing about hunting, though, too, because that means that you probably know someone that's lapsed and hasn't done it in a bit. And that's an easier invite, perhaps, than teaching someone brand new how to do it from start to finish. It might just be opening up a spot at your hunting camp and saying, come on in. Right. So there's different things that people listening can do and take action in. And it's not just, you know, being a corporate partner and sponsoring events and everything. There's something, this is a action and option that people have that they can take advantage of regardless of who they work for. Yeah, it's, it, it is not just the big events. It's not, and Muley events are fabulous. Um, in New Mexico, Colleen Richardson, our, our regional director, has yeah. a women's program called the Doe's Program, which is um, is ethical sportsmanship outdoor is for women. <laughs> and and. But again, it do, it, these are grand things. These are opportunities to have touches along the way. But it doesn't necessarily have to be a coordinated group event to do that. It can be going up to your neighbor, you know, who you know used to hunt and saying, Bob, why aren't you hunting anymore? Why don't you come out with me to, on my lease or on my property or something along that line, right? It's sort mm-hmm. of take on the old environmental movement saying is think globally but act locally. You know, think about what's going on here from a, a whole kit and caboodle sort of sense. But... Take it upon yourself to act within your own little sphere of influence. Absolutely. So what could, I mean, where can somebody find information? What are individual acts, individual acts of kindness or <laughs> opportunity that a, a Mule Deer Foundation member could do to become a re- mentor, a plus one? Um, where can they find some resources that might help? So there's two different uh, sites and resources that probably could be useful to them. Um, if you're a member of Muley's or Mule Deer Foundation and want to engage with other chapters and other organizations working on this, they could join the nationalr3plan.com. It's a National R3 community. Get more information, subscribe, find some webinars. But there's also local resources too, like Let's Go Hunting and Let's Go Shooting, yeah. right? Yeah, we actually just launched um, within the past six months two awesome new websites, letsgohunting.org and letsgoshooting.org. And yeah, you can find things to do in your local area you can find all your local hunting regulations it's a great point for people to start like if somebody's new or if you're a mentor we have a whole section it's actually called the plus one movement section where we have great videos on how to be the perfect mentor how to make that first experience the best that it can possibly be and a lot of great tips on on getting new people involved we have a ton of articles ton of videos but yeah both of those sites for shooting and hunting, you can find so many great resources. Well, and it's, you know, it's, it's an interesting thing because I, I have a feeling we're going to have some people go, they don't need any more darn people. We got plenty. Of, I see every people out there all the time, right? And, and we all do. Uh, you know, it, 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 it does feel that way sometimes. Um, but, but statistically, there are declines. And, and Two million we, hunters in five years from the last survey. I, I just... I can't fathom that. I mean, I, and just the financial loss that we get from that license purchase and the accessories, but well, you know, and, and the projection long term with the aging um, of the current cohort of of primary the the majority of our hunters. They What's the average age? Like sixty something now, isn't it? Mm-hmm. It's between fifty five and sixty, roughly. And 60. Yeah, yeah. So, so we've got about five to ten years before a lot of those folks are not going to be physically able to get out um, hunting, um, shooting maybe mo- a little bit more time. But thankfully, I mean, we all know those individuals that hunted until they were a hundred, but there's not that many. Most are yeah. going to drop off. So unless we are replicating ourselves, plus one. We're not going to have this. And, and the longer, the, the fewer people we have recognizing and advocating for hunting and shooting 
are going to, uh, it, it creates the potential where there are, um, uh, where we're not going to have these these places to go. That the people who oppose hunting, the people that are against shooting and, and gun ownership are going to have a louder voice and be able to speak um, more clearly. And, and so if we don't bring along the next generation, the, the, the future might be grim. So it's well, upon all of us. <clears throat> we hear all the time, just the kids, the kids today. Kids today. Have, I've heard you uh, say that. As Jody reaches for her cell phone, um, <laughs> are, are Looking at the clock. too much connected to technology. Um, I have kids. We got every gadget under the sun. They love it, but they also love being outside. And so I don't buy into that. Just have them put the iPad down, and they're going to be fine in the outdoors. I think it's more of a lifestyle thing and creating that balance that we need in life. Um, so what are these, you know, when something out there, they call it these things that are sticky. What, what are what are a couple of the things that you can ad, advise us on things that stick with, whether it's a youth or a, a middle, mid-aged adult or, or someone like Jody who's being reactivated that we can, you know, help with your efforts? So one of the first things I would say is don't fight technology and coming with you. Um, sometimes people, the selfie is a big thing right now, right? Everyone <laughs> wants to take selfies. <laughs> How people interact with the world is shifting, right? You used to be able to converse with people back and forth, but our worlds have expanded. So now we use our cell phones to communicate with people and everything. So when your phone comes with you in the blind or in the stand, embrace it. Take a funny selfie. There's some great filters on Snapchat now. My dad loves them. <laughs> so it's definitely something to embrace and take with you if you think about anything. Don't fight technology being there. I think that's how people explore it, build a connection to it. It's just a part of it now. So rather yeah. than going against it, embrace yeah. it. It's more material for your Instagram account. Exactly. Yeah. Instagram <laughs> stories and Facebook stories. <laughs> Everybody's looking for new things to do. And I think you even look at like the people in, t in their 20s and 30s. They're looking for new experiences. That's a new thing. Like exactly. it's all about experiences and people are looking yeah. for new things to do. Well, and hunting, even in, we, we even see like in uh, urban communities in like, for example, like in Greenwich Village in, in New York City where People, there's this whole locavore movement going on where people want to eat organic food and they're actively searching for ways to become a hunter. And it's not what it was back in the day where, where, where you'd go out with your father or whatever. These people didn't have that experience. They grew up in cities and they're actively looking for ways to get involved. And I think it's up to everybody out there to be that person to help them get to where they need to be. I just heard about a pint night that occurred in downtown Manhattan last week, and like 65, 70 people showed up in downtown Manhattan. Yeah. And so what it shows to me is that, just like you described, there's this need. And sometimes, though, if hunting's not, if you don't know a hunter, it might not occur to be an activity that you could participate in, right? So that's one of our challenges right it's now. How do we get on people's radar? It's a huge right? Yeah. I mean, it's a very, it, it can be a little bit of a scary thing for people. And, and I think that's an important point that, that I wanted to, to talk about and touch on as well is, the, the recruiting that we've done in the past has been bring in some of the folks that we expect, you know, rural, your, your kids or other kids. I mean, but but to make a difference, we have to be reaching into areas that are, look different than us, whether that is diversity um, of ethnicities um, or gender. Obviously, women, thankfully, that's a growing movement for women, um, people who are interested in it for the food entirely um, and, and bringing in that local war and the connection and, and 
good culinary practices that that is but they're going to look at it differently and they're going to they're going to want information in different ways as well um, of, of how to go about doing it so that's something else that you guys I know are are talking about and having opportunities and how do you tap into mil millennials um, you know through pint nights or uh, or other experiences or, or food game feeds we've talked about uh, Samantha there's um in, in Georgia, they've done a, the, 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 the field to fork. They go out to local farmer's markets in downtown Athens, Georgia, and they set up, uh, you know, a table uh, where they give out venison. Uh, and, and the people that go to try it, oh, well, this is pretty good. And these are people who already care about where their food's coming from. So then they say, hey, do you want to try it? Yeah, <laughs> it's exactly. Like, like pushing drugs on the street, but it's <laughs> game. <laughs> well, I think, you know, for so long, particularly in the last 20 years, we focus so much on the kill that, very short part of hunting that everyone wants to see because it results in, you know, your trophy shot or that sense of euphoria or uh, accomplishment. But really hunting is the whole kit and caboodle. For those of us that have been doing it for so long, it's a year-round activity. I mean, there's not a day that goes by that I don't think of something about hunting or fishing that isn't, that I feel part of the whole experience. And in a lot of ways, that's, I think, what we've missed because of media and instant access and the internet and everything else is, is you don't see the prep. You don't see the after the shot where you have to carry an elk out for, you know, on your back for five trips over two miles and then, you know, deal with the weather and come back and, you know, have the wolves howling around you in Montana like we do and other things. That makes the experience so much more to me and to a lot of people that I know. And that's really hard to portray unless you're in a one-on-one -on -one situation or a small group situation. And so, and yet we're starting to see it a little bit more yeah. as well in social media, in some of the storytelling that's going on about the lifestyle, the experience, the, um, the very fundamental emotional experience that people have about the entire journey. And the actual time you harvest that animal is a very short part of what it is. Absolutely. It's, it's funny. You don't realize how lucky you are, right? To get exposed and be born into this. And, um, I don't think there will ever be a season where I don't go afield, but there might be a season where I don't go afield with my family members. It mm -hmm. might be a friend I take out. I don't know. But having that opportunity to connect people to beyond just the point of harvest is something that I haven't realized is kind of my responsibility. So how do I convey that? How do I portray that? How do I share that with people? Because that's definitely going to be something that's going to grow in importance as we continue, especially as people age out or change participation rates. Definitely something we have to keep in top of mind. Yep. I, I don't remember the statistics, but I know it's a substantial amount of people the, the, it's a, actually a very small number who are anti-hunting. The majority, and, and, the, and a small number who actually hunt. The vast majority of, of people don't necessarily have strong positive or negative right. feeling. And, and, and if it's portrayed well or presented to them in the right way, you could swing them over to the other side, one way or the other, depending on how that's done, depending on how that story is told. Hunting for food and recreation is above 80% on a general populace. It's only when you get into that trophy hunting, sport hunting, nomenclature that you see significant drops and i can tell you this if you've come around a game feed or have someone that's a really good cook and you get a chance to eat it you're really going to want to figure out how you can get that yourself and that's that foodie locavore movement you know jody we were looking at the earrings that your daughter makes from animal from feathers from animals that were harvested and i guarantee you that if you showed that around to people that would love to have those or do them themselves they would say wow, how can I go do that? And so my point on this is 
it's not a it's not a one size fits all way of doing R three and and making connections. You have to have that flexibility and adaptability to the circumstance and to the person that you're dealing with. Absolutely. So the whole goal of this was to let people know that there are efforts, that there are groups like yours that are, are, are working on these issues. Um, and there are tools and there are resources for the average hunter. So remind us again what the organizations and what your websites are for people to go out and get more information. Take, take somebody hunting, take somebody shooting, get them involved and, and let them see that passion that you have for that time out in the field. Yeah, and I'd, uh, I'd say, too, uh, like you said before, like, it all starts locally. Like, you don't need to be a giant, massive organization. Like, you can be anyone at all. Bring somebody new. Like, encourage your friends to do so, because this all starts locally. And just imagine if every single person who's a hunter brought somebody new next year. We could double our ranks in a year. Imagine that. Yeah. You'd erase any decline in hunting. You'd... you'd We'd be growing again. Yeah, like it, it really could be that easy. Just bring some. I'm planning on bringing somebody new. So tell us your. So let's go shooting.org. Let's, let's go, go hunting. Yeah, let's go hunting.org. Let's go shooting.org. Ton of great resources. And National Shooting Sports Foundation is www.nssf.org. Yep, you got it. And Sam, what's the council's website? Sure, the council can be found at www.cahss.org. And or we can talk to any one of your state, you can walk into your state fishing game wildlife agency and ask them about, you know, R3 and they can probably point you in the right direction. Yeah, and we have a page on our website. If you're looking for local contacts, about 40 states now have someone sitting in that R3 coordinator's seat and um, you can just visit our page and find that information too. Excellent. Well, thank you guys so much for your time. We really appreciate you. I know it's a busy week, particularly for you, Bill. Yeah. <laughs> no. Got to swipe thank him out of the, the press room, yeah. but we really appreciate you carving no, the time out the to talk about this and all the work that your organizations do. And until now, we're talking mule deer at the SHOT Show in 2019. This is Jody Stemler. And I'm Steve Belinda. And do your part. Get out there and help someone uh, learn how to hunt or shoot. And uh, let's leave conservation better than we found it. And thank you for talking mule deer. Thanks for talking Mule Deer with Steve Belinda and Jody Stemmler. The Mule Deer Foundation is the only conservation group in North America dedicated to restoring, improving, and protecting mule deer and black-tailed deer and their habitat. MDF is a strong voice for hunters in access, wildlife management, and conservation policy issues. To find out more, visit www.muledeer.org and stay tuned for the next episode of Talking Mule Deer.